you would, please turn to the Gospel of John. We are in John 20 this morning. And we're picking up in verse 19 and reading down to verse 31. Again, we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we pray this morning as we look to you, as we look to your word, Lord, help us to exercise our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus is the Son of God. For Jesus is our life. Lord, would you encourage our faith this morning? Would you help us? Would you strengthen our faith? Lord, we pray for anyone who's here this morning and has yet to profess faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that they may not be like Thomas who would not believe in the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would grant the gift of faith this morning. We trust you for these things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. (laughs) 
Pastor John Piper had once heard a story that he's related many times before about a professor who had a, a student who asked about scientific observation, and so the professor gave him a jar with a fish and asked him, I want you to look and observe the fish and then relate back to me what you see. So the professor goes away, the, the student looks at the fish, ten minutes goes by, he thinks he's discovered everything, so he tries to find the professor, he can't find the professor, so 30 minutes, an hour, two hours go by, and he's still looking at the fish. The professor comes back, he tells, asks, what have you found? And the student says, well, I, here's, here's my description, here's what I found, the, the, the scale, the, the fins, uh, the lidless eyes. And the professor was disappointed. It's like, you haven't discovered the most obvious features of the fish. Look again. The student was miserable. He didn't want to continue in this task, but he wanted to please his professor, so he continued to observe the fish over and over again. And this continued on for three days. The professor kept telling him, look, 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 observe. And gradually, over time, the student began to observe, the, notice these different things about the fish things that he had never noticed before. It's kind of the, the treasure that is found when you take the time to carefully observe things. So coming off of uh, doing a series called Walking Through the, the uh, Psalms, we're going to take the next several weeks and took a, take a look, a close look at the topic of faith. Faith is central to the Christian life. I mean, faith is foundational. Without faith, right, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you cannot receive salvation. Faith is what sustains us. Faith itself is our life. So what I want to do over the next several weeks is take a close look at the topic of faith through several books in the Bible, beginning with the Gospel of John, looking at faith according to the, to the letter of Paul to the Romans, faith, according to the book of Thessalonians and other books, and to see these different, the different things, the different things that the, that the Scriptures teach us concerning the topic of faith. So this morning we're looking at faith according to the Gospel of John. And when we take a close look at the Gospel of John with a particular eye to the subject of faith, one of the first things that we see is the object of faith. So in John chapter 3, verse 16, familiar passage, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Numerous times of the Gospel of John, Jesus when he's, when he's presenting himself as someone to believe him, he will always, he will, many times he will talk about himself being one who is sent. That to believe in him is to believe in the one who sent him. He says this numerous times through the Gospel of John. And we see this in John 3.16 and in verse 17, that God gave his son into the world, that God sent his son into the world. And in the Gospel of John, when we think about God sending his son, his being sent, Jesus being sent, 
speaks to his purpose and it speaks to his identity. His being sent speaks to his purpose. What is the purpose of Jesus Christ? John 3.16 tells us the purpose of Jesus Christ is to give salvation, to give eternal life to whoever will believe in him. Not to everyone without exception, but only to those who believe. It's to give eternal life. It's to bring salvation. John 6.38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what is the will of the one who sent him? This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The will of God is to send the Son into the world so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that is his purpose and his being sent in the world, but his sent also speaks to his identity. Again, John 3.16 is helpful in clarifying that for us because it tells us that God sent his Son, God gave his Son to the world. In the passage we just read in John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven. In John 15, verse 17, one of the most explicit statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John, Jesus, speaking to the religious teachers, says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And then in verse 18, we have this sort of this editorial comment from the author of, the gospel, of, of this Gospel. Where it tells us this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. The problem was not that Jesus was saying that God is his Father. I mean, all the Jews considered themselves to be sons of God. But Jesus took it a step further. Maybe, actually, maybe a million steps further and he's claiming eternality with God. He's saying that he is co-equal with God. And it's for this reason that religious teachers intended to kill Jesus. It was blasphemous that such a man will claim equality with God. But this is exactly what Jesus is saying when he says that I have come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. A thorough study of the Gospel of John teaches us that to believe in Jesus is also to believe in God, is to believe in the one who sent God. You cannot believe in God and not believe in Jesus. Neither can you believe in Jesus and not believe in God. Jesus has come down from heaven, he says, to do the will of the Father. He is sent by God. He is given by God to the world like a king who sends his, his son, a prince, into a foreign country as his representative, where the prince can only speak the words of his father, the king. And to dismiss the words of the prince, or to disbelieve the words of the prince, is to disbelieve or be dismissive towards the words of the king. And to dishonor the prince is to dishonor the king. And to dishonor the king only invites the wrath of the king. 
So we can, when we consider the staggering statements of the Gospel of John, especially when Jesus makes these statements about his identity, his coming from God, his being sent from, from God, that he is the, he's the Son of God, that he is co-equal with God, it teaches us that the object of faith is none other than the person of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 20, verse 30, when we're studying any book of the Bible, when we are carefully looking and observing any particular book of the Bible, it's helpful for us to try to discern what is the overarching purpose or purposes in that particular book. What's helpful about the Gospel of John is that you don't have to do much study or observing. He explicitly tells you what it is. You just have to wait and read long enough to get there because it's towards the end of the book. But in John 20, verse 30, tells us the purpose. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What's been carefully put together It's all driving to this overarching purpose so that the reader may not just read the gospel, but so that they may have this view of Jesus Christ, so they may see, so they may look, so they may observe the person of Jesus Christ and believe in him and have life in his name. You need to the gospel of John are the I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. For example, Jesus says that he is the bread of life that is given to the world so that anyone who eats of this bread will live forever. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the door. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, taking a title from the Old Testament. For example, in Psalm 23, a title ascribed to only God alone. The Lord is my shepherd, right? I shall not want Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And one of the most scandalous statements that Jesus makes about himself is when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. In other words, there isn't two ways to heaven. There isn't three ways to heaven. We're not universalists that everybody goes to heaven, that you can believe what you, can, what you want to believe, you can feel whatever way you feel, that all of your good works accounts for something in the grand scheme of eternity. No, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and that no one can see the Father except through me. And we see these seven signs in the Gospel of John. Surely, as John writes, he's done many other signs, but some were carefully selected for a reason. Seven of them. Seven of them. Jesus turning water into wine, showing that he is the divine bridegroom who has come into the world to take his bride, the church, with him. Jesus cleanses the temple. Jesus heals the official son. Jesus heals the lame man at the pool. Jesus heals or, or feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, showing that he is the greater Moses, that while the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, 
God through Moses gave them manna from heaven, Jesus is the manna from heaven that gives eternal life to all who will believe in him. Jesus heals the man born blind. And the climax of all the signs, Jesus raising dead Lazarus back to life. See, all of these signs, all of these words, all of these statements that Jesus makes, it's intended to show us that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God who's come from heaven to earth to give salvation to all those who believe. And when we take these statements, when we take these signs, and when we take everything that the gospel says about Jesus Christ, is that the object of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ, and such faith has no low view of Jesus. That Jesus isn't just a good teacher. That Jesus isn't just this good person. That Jesus isn't just a prophet. That Jesus isn't just this person who was especially filled with the Spirit of God. Those are all low views of the person of Jesus Christ, but genuine faith and the person of Jesus Christ accepts nothing less than a high view of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God who's come down from heaven to give eternal life to all those who will believe in him. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The Gospel of John goes to great lengths to show us that faith in the person of Jesus Christ is where our faith should rest that our faith rests in the Son of God who's come down from heaven to give life to all those who would believe in him. The beginning and the end of faith is in Christ, and in Christ alone, who is the Son of God, who brings salvation. So when it comes to faith, faith, of course, has an object, not any, just not any particular person, not any destination, not a fixed period of time somewhere in the future, but faith must rest in the person of Jesus Christ. The nature of faith is that faith itself is a choice, an affectionate choice. Well, at the same time, Ephesians tells us that faith is a gift, and we'll talk about that when we get to the book of Ephesians. But nevertheless, it is a choice John 3.18, everybody loves John 3.16, right? Even secularists, even non-believers, John loves John 3.16. Oprah Winfrey loves John 3.16, but nobody ever reads what comes after John 
John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Praise the Lord. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does not... Everyone who does wicked things hates the light. It does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Again, John 3.16, God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world. Why is that? Because the world is already condemned. Because the world does not believe in the name of the only Son of God. But there's a choice here that when the light comes into the world, who is Jesus Christ, that those who are in darkness, that those who are not believers, they reject the light. And they don't just feel sort of flippant about the darkness. But no, it actually tells us that they love the darkness rather than the light. There's an embracing of the darkness and a rejection of Jesus Christ. It's a willful and conscious decision. And we see other examples of a conscious decision on, on several examples in the gospel of people choosing and embracing and loving the Lord Jesus Christ. The man who was born blind, for example, who was cast out of the synagogue because the Pharisees, the religious teachers, believe that he's lying about his being healed. And Jesus finds him out of the synagogue and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, sir, who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, I am that person. And in that moment, Jesus just doesn't become, is no longer just a sir, because it tells us the man worshipped him. The man born blind but then healed makes a decision to embrace Jesus as his Lord and Savior and falls down and worships him. The response of Thomas, we read that earlier. Thomas made a conscious decision to not believe in the Lord Jesus until he saw him. And then he saw him and then he says, my Lord and my God. The Samaritan woman, what is conversation with Jesus, believed in Jesus at that moment, made that decision, and then what did she do? She went out to tell all the townsfolk, and they all came and followed her, and they all believed as well. I wonder if you've ever read John chapter 6, and notice the language of John chapter 6. In John six fifty, Jesus says, This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Talking about himself. In John 6, 53 to 54, Jesus says that, that he is the bread of heaven, that, he, that if anyone eats his flesh and drinks his blood, that they will have eternal life. Right? Taking that face value, it sounds like Jesus is wanting to be cannibalized. But Jesus is speaking figuratively in order to speak spiritual truth. in order to draw out a response. And that response is faith. What Jesus wanted them to do, what Jesus wants us to do, 
in a way, is to digest Him. That Jesus must be in you. This is why Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, that any branch that is cut off withers and dies. In other words, that our life must be in Jesus, that Jesus is our life. Jesus must be living in us. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Why are we putting these things to death? Because Christ will one day return, and because Christ living is living in you. And for somebody who has Christ living in them, they are to put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, now that Christ is living in you, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, doesn't matter what race you're coming from, whether circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. According to the Gospel of John, faith is accepting the fact that you are a sinner in love with the darkness and also consciously aware of your need of salvation and joyfully and willfully giving your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Faith is accepting the fact that according to John chapter 3, the wrath of God hangs over your head as long as you remain in unbelief. But the good news of the gospel is that when you believe in Jesus, when you faith in Jesus, in that moment, you receive eternal life. You receive mercy. You receive grace. You receive adoption as a son and daughter or daughter of God. And so my prayer and hope for you this morning, if you're here and you have yet to profess faith in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that you would make that decision today to trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, as the Son of God, as the one who's come down from heaven to give eternal life to all those who believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus. The Gospel of John speaks to the nature of faith and also speaks to the nature of unbelief. We see this again in the refusal of Thomas, of doubting Thomas. There's refusal to believe in the Lord Jesus, even after his disciple or his fellow disciples, his fellow friends told him that Christ had risen from the grave. We see this again in John chapter 3, this embracing of the darkness and this rejection of the Lord Jesus. In John 5, verse 44, Jesus speaking to the religious teachers, he says to them, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? 
In John 12, 42, another of John's comments, speaking about the religious authorities, it says, nevertheless, in John 12, 42, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Jesus. But, for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. These religious teachers, right, some wanted to make the decision to believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But they didn't. Why? Because they loved glory. They loved praise. They loved recognition. They love themselves too much to give themselves to Christ. We may not be in the same kind of position as the Pharisees. We're in a position where people are looking to us and perhaps admiring us like many people did towards the religious teachers. Nevertheless, I think this still speaks to the human heart. You see, pride is something that is in all our hearts. And pride is an impediment to genuine saving faith. The reason why unbelievers refuse to believe in Jesus is because they desire to do the leading instead of the following. We see this sin in the very beginning. In Genesis, Adam and Eve, God and Adam and Eve had an intimate, close relationship with one another. God had given them everything. But they still disobeyed. Why? Because they wanted autonomy. They didn't, want to, they didn't want to follow. They wanted to lead. They essentially wanted to be God. Isn't that naturally what we want? We don't naturally want, we don't want to someone to tell us how to live our lives. We want to live our lives according to our standards according to our ideologies, we want to live our lives like how, however we want. It's pride. And even as believers, even as those who have been regenerated by the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we still at times struggle with pride. Right? We don't always want to do what we're called to do. We don't always want to obey the Lord. Sometimes we do want our own way, don't we? It's a decision that we make. And it takes humility to put your faith on the person of Jesus Christ to say that I will follow the Lord Jesus. And that is why faith is something that you exercise every single day. It takes faith every single day to follow the Lord Jesus. So the nature of unbelief is a refusal to believe in the Lord Jesus as Savior because of pride. So then the Gospel of John not only speaks to us about the object of faith, it speaks to us about the nature 
of faith, but also speaks to us about the expectation of faith. And with regards to the expectation of faith, of what we might expect when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, with that expectation that comes from our faith in the Lord Jesus, there's also there's a cost. And related to the topic of the nature of unbelief, we see in the Gospel of John spurious or inauthentic faith, feeble faith. We see that example in John 2.23. tells us that now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus did not, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So you have here people who are believing in Jesus on account of the signs, the miracles that he's performing. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, later on, Jesus will say, I think specifically to the religious teachers, that even if you don't believe in me, believe in the works that you may know that I am who I say that I am. So you have group of people who believe in Jesus on account of the signs that he does, but it says that he will not entrust himself to them. Why is that? Because he knew what was in man. He knew what was in their hearts. And the only reason why Jesus would not entrust himself to these particular individuals is because they actually didn't have genuine faith. We see that example also in John chapter 6. Jesus had fed a crowd of 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, and they continued to follow him. And Jesus has an exchange of words, teaches them about who he is. I'm the bread of life. You must digest me. You must believe in me. I must be your life in order to receive eternal life. And they begin to grumble about his words. They begin to dispute about his words. You get the impression that they are becoming increasingly angry over, what the, word, over the words of Jesus. And then... The chapter concludes by telling us that many of them, many of them that are even called disciples, not his inner circle of 12 disciples, but outside of those 12, there were other disciples that they walked away from Jesus. So what we learn about faith, about genuine saving faith, is that genuine saving faith is the faith that endures. Faith. Genuine saving faith is a faith that commits to lifelong discipleship and never stops following Jesus. Of course, you might have your ups and downs, but the general trajectory of your life has to be one of discipleship, and that shows genuine saving faith. But spurious, inauthentic, feeble kind of faith doesn't show that lifelong discipleship. In fact, it tries to change the terms, the contract. Right, so say you're at a dealership. You find a brand new car that you want. You sit down with a salesman. You go over the details. He presents to you a contract. Here's the car, $30,000. Here's how, how many years you're going to be paying. Here's the payment each month. Here's the penalties for not paying and all the different details. But somebody with inauthentic faith will say, I don't really like the terms. I don't really like the price. How about we make it $5,000 car? How about we make 
the years of repayment just six months, and how about there's no penalty for not paying? How about that? Where the salesman will just kick you out the door if you try to negotiate in that way. But spurious faith sees the contract that God gives. Here's what you can expect. Eternal life, grace, mercy, forgiveness for all your sins, past, present, and future. Future glory. These are all the things that you can expect. But here's the cost. Your life. And the signature on the dotted line is your faith. But spurious faith says, I don't really like the contract, God. Instead of getting my life, how about we share 50-50 or better? How about 70-30 or how about 90 and 10? How about there is no penalties? How about I get everything and you get 10% or 5% of my life Maybe I'll go to church once a week, do the right thing, but I still get to live my life the way I want to. I think the Gospel of John is clear. That is not genuine saving faith. Genuine saving faith accepts the terms of the contract, that mean, meaning that the expectation is that you would lay down your life and follow Jesus, and Jesus becomes your life. Jesus is your life. The question is, do you want to follow the live your best life now program and spend eternity in misery? Or do you want to follow the lifelong discipleship program and have obstacles, struggles from time to time, but will lead to great reward later? And lastly, with regards to the expectation of faith, there's the expectation of of seeing the glory of God. And I get this from John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we have Jesus who hears about his friend Lazarus who has become deathly ill. And Jesus, instead of going to Lazarus, allows Lazarus to die. Four days later, he travels to see the tomb of Lazarus. His sister, Lazarus' sister Mary, comes. They talk. Then Martha comes. And her and Jesus talk. And she says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Nevertheless, I know that if you ask for anything, God will give it to you. And Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. Not quite understanding what Jesus is getting at. She says, I know that he will rise again on the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who believes in me and they, still, and they live shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes. I believe that you are the Son of God. And they go travel together to the tomb and still not quite getting it, still kind of doubting. She, he tells the people, remove the stone. And, G, and Martha says, but if you remove the stone, Jesus, there's going to be an odor. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus, how does he respond? He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Didn't I tell you? In other words, he said this before. When did he say that before? He said that in their first conversation, though differently. 
Titor, you will, your brother will rise again. That he is the resurrection and the life. That anyone who believes in him will never die. And he raises Lazarus out of the grave. And you know what? In that moment when Martha saw of the glory of Jesus Christ, of Christ, of Jesus Christ is greater than the glory that even Moses saw when he desired to see the glory of God. Because here's the person of Jesus Christ. Now there was two crowds there. There was Martha, who believed in Jesus, and I think saw something differently than the crowds who witnessed the miracle and then believed in Jesus on account of the miracle. What Martha witnessed in that moment was the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus manifesting who he was. She saw his dignity, his eternal worth. She saw his holiness. She saw his supreme authority, even over life and death. In that moment, she did see the glory of God. And that is what we can expect as well. Anyone who believes in Jesus and follows Jesus and has this close relationship with Jesus is a person who also desires to see the glory of Jesus one day. You know, that's even Jesus' prayer for you and for me. When he's talking with his disciples in the upper room moments before his death, Jesus' prayer to the Father is, Father, I desire that these may be with me where I am to see my glory. Christ's desire for you is to be with Jesus and to see his glory. The Lord wants us to see his glory. And that should be our desire as well, to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Faith is central to the Christian life. Faith is what sustains your life because it's what saves your life through Jesus Christ. It's what will sustain you and it's what will one day bring you to the place where Jesus is to see his glory. And so when we think about the object of faith, namely that being the person of Jesus Christ, Right, let us fight against any tendency to treat Jesus or to see Jesus as an acquaintance that you might see once in a while. Let's fight against any tendency to treat Jesus as someone that you work with. But Jesus must be your life. That means that Jesus must be closer to you than a brother or sister, or parent, or spouse. Jesus is your life, and so let us pursue him as our life. Let us see him as our Lord and Savior. Let us see him as the one who has given us salvation. And let us live every day by faith. Let us strive to live each and every day by faith. Live by faith as you go to work. Live by faith in your marriage. Live by faith in your singleness. Live by faith as you raise your children. Live by faith as you serve the bride of Christ, as you fellowship with the saints. Live by faith when you are alone and no one is looking. 
The faith that saved you is a faith that is transforming you. And it is the faith that will sustain you and one day bring you to the place where Jesus is to see his glory.